Welcome to the Renaissance Church Podcast. Our mission is to glorify God and to make disciples by bringing the gospel into all of life in all the earth. This is Chris Kipp, lead pastor of Renaissance Church here in Richmond, Texas. And if you've not joined us in a worship gathering or at a house church yet, we would love to have you join us. You can find out more information at rin-church.org. And I pray that you are encouraged and edified by the proclamation of God's word today. We're going to look at kind of a, a chunk of scriptures from Matthew 5 to 7. And today we're kind of in between series. We just finished You're Invited. And so it's always a hard thing to go, hey, I could preach on anything today. What, what do we want to talk about today? I should have just like filled out some like comment cards. Hey, what do you want to hear today? Let's just see, see what happens. And so it's not quite that, but um, I just kind of landed on this, this idea of a message called the road to life. Like it's just very, very simple. And I just want to tell you um, how I got to that point. And maybe I'm just trusting that it's going to be the things that I've been wrestling with are things that maybe other people are wrestling with. And hopefully, we can just find some, some clarity together through the truth of God's word. And um, I've I just been thinking about lately um, this incredibly difficult time in every parent of teenagers' life when they are the ones that teach their kids to drive. Like, it is like when I was growing up, like you had to go to a driving instructor, a driver's ed school, right? I'll never forget my, Clarence was my driver's ed teacher and Clarence was awesome. And he had the most like busted Toyota Corolla that you've ever seen. He had a brake pedal over there. So when he didn't like what I was doing, he could like slam on the brakes from his side and he would like grab the steering wheel when I was doing something, whatever, slow down and uh, we'd go after school and have to spend a couple hours there with do book study, would do something on, um, gosh, probably like an Apple IIe computer, and, um, and then we would do some, some driving, and, uh, and not only that, like we had to be in the car while the other kids were doing their driving, which was terrifying, right? So there we are, observation, they called it, which was really like how to increase your prayer life when you're afraid you're going to die in Houston with people who don't know how to drive, right? And so somewhere along the way, the state of Texas thought, hey, you know what would be be okay. The kids don't need to go have a proper instructor for driving. Uh, your parents can just do it for you. And it's like, but what if the parents can't drive? Like, then you've got the blind leading the blind. And it's like, I think that's the state of Houston traffic today, right? You're seeing the fruit of untrained people training other people to drive. And this is what we have. But so like, if you're if you're coming up on that stage, I would just start, I would just encourage you to start saving for the however much it costs to send them to somebody else. Do that. That's money, that's money well spent. Because I'm not sure some of our relationships have ever recovered from like the anxiety and the like, stop yelling at me. I'm like, if I don't, you're gonna crash. And and so one of the hardest things I remember is just like trying to figure out where you are in the lane, you know, and on the side of the road, there's like these, you know, road bumps. And or boom, 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 boom. It's like you get there and it's like, that's supposed to be like if you're driving for a long time and you get tired and wake you up and it's like letting you know, it's not supposed to be what you think is normal when you're driving, right? Like if you're hanging out over there on the, and so when my kids wanted to drive, like they would kind of get there and they would ride it too long and it's like they would either act like they were stuck. One of two things, they would just keep doing it. I'm like, stop, like it's so terrible. And then the other thing they would do is like yank the wheel the other way and go, oh, 
way to the other side. You know, now they're banging off of this one, and it's like from this to this, and ba-boom, to bam and it's like, well, look out for the car. And I'll, anyway, so I'm going to need counseling for, for all of this. So at some point along the way, Holly tapped out. She's like, you got that. I can't. My nerves cannot handle it. And it's like... Why didn't we just pay for them to go somewhere else? Like that would be, so that's my public service announcement for, you know, unless your kid's like just a naturally gifted driver, which some are more than others, but. So, but you're coming thinking about this and because I see kind of this reality in our world today. Like we kind of have this polarization. We have this like, you're either this or you're that. And if you're not in the this that I'm in, then you're that over there, which means for somehow it became a reality that, um, if you're not in the same extreme that I am, then you're my enemy. And it's like, we've just got these opposites. And so what that kind of led me to think about was this, uh, a, a couple verses in John that I want us to read together. And Chris referenced this in the You're Invited when we're talking about the, the woman at the well. And so we're, it's going to be up on the screen, or if you have your Bible, we're going to be in, June, in John chapter 4, just for a minute. And this is verse um, 23 and, and 24. And Jesus has already come to her, and she's figuring out who he is, and went through all of that, like, you've had this many husbands, your life has been this. And, and then they start talking about worship. And in verse 23, he says, but an hour is coming... And is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Yes, the, father's, um, the Father wants such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. And here's where I think that hits us, is that you and I are born with personalities and preferences. We were born raised in certain traditions with certain practices and certain expectations. And so there's, there's things in this world that just are very natural to us. They make sense to us. It's how our brain works. And then there's things that we're uncomfortable with. And our tendency is to reject all of the things that make us feel uncomfortable. And while there are things that are sinful and outside of the kingdom that we should be mindful of and, and should be able to speak out against. There's other practices in the faith where we just kind of go, mm, I don't really like that. But the truth is, it's not about what we like. Like the spirit of God isn't contemporary worship or traditional worship. The, the spirit of God isn't I'm charismatic and you're um, Bible church. Like it's not, and that's what the woman says. It's like, hey, my people worshiped on this mountain, but your people now say we have to worship in Jerusalem. Like, so it's this or that. And Jesus goes, no, it's not this or that. It's this. It's the spirit and truth. It's right here, right now, which means we have to walk forward in things that we might be uncomfortable with because it doesn't matter. There's nothing about Christianity that it was designed for our comfort or our convenience. It's not supposed to make us feel better about what we already believe. It's like you can find books, Christian books, Christian articles to reinforce all of the current preferences that you have, just like other Bible-believing people can find. So what, there's this, this tension between these doctrines and these beliefs, and we have a tendency in the church today, I just see a lot of criticism over these things that maybe we're uncomfortable with, and we need to be discerning. We need to be comparing things to the Scripture. We need 
need to be submitting to leaders of the church to make sure that we're being faithful. But just because we don't like something doesn't mean that it's actually out of bounds. It may be there's things that we're not currently experiencing in our faith walk that are going to make us uncomfortable that God is actually calling us to experience. There's growth ahead that's going to require us to step out of an extreme and to trust him into an area that's going to cause us to step out of our comfort zone, that's going to require us to have faith, that's going to require us to make room for what I don't really understand and I'm not necessarily comfortable with, but if the scripture says it's okay, then I'm okay with it, right? And so I just think there's, I, I want us to be careful in the church because it's like Jesus said, we're supposed to be known for our love for each other, which includes other churches that may have different preferences than us, but right now I feel like what we're known for is camps, like there's this camp over here and this camp over here and this group over here and this group over here. And that's not how Jesus said that we're going to reach a lost world is by division and polarization. He said spirit and truth is how we're going we're gonna to testify to a lost and broken and dying world. And so I just want to challenge us a little bit that we need to be open to God leading us into things that we may have previously been uncomfortable with, but his word, the more we study the word, the more we... Um, introduce ourselves to people from different backgrounds and we can pull and we're like, wow, I've never seen that before, but that's in the scriptures. I never understood that. I want to experience more of that. And that's kind of where I dove in with this kind of idea. And Holly and I had um, some great advice for some mentors who said it like this, you don't have to be disagreeable when you disagree. Like, you can be as opposite of me. You can have a different idea of gender identity. You can have a different idea of politics. You can have a different idea of worship. You can have a different view on alcohol. You can have a different view. And I can disagree with you and love you completely at the same time. I think that's spirit and truth. It's the intersection. It's not like, ooh, that's gross. It's like, okay, the sin is bad, and you're supposed to love that person with everything you've got because that's how God loves you. Like we have to be willing to not just be insulated in our preferences so much so that we're not willing, we, we shouldn't be disagreeable. And it's like everything we see these days just like seems to be disagreeable. And so Jesus said not this or that, but this intersection of, of spirit and truth. And then that got me thinking over here in Matthew chapter seven. So welcome to how my brain works. Um, try to keep up if you can. This is all over the place. So that took me to Matthew chapter seven. And then it's like, gosh, I can't just go to like these couple verses because they're completely out of context. And then I started, what's before it? What's, what's in the Sermon of the Mount, which is like Matthew five through seven. And so it doesn't make sense without the whole context of that. So I wanna start here in Matthew seven, 13 and 14. And then uh, we're gonna come back and just see where it is in context and pull out a couple things and hopefully get to a conclusion that makes some kind of sense. That's where I am. Matthew 7, um, in verse 13, what is it? Yeah, that's why I put it on the screen. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the road broad that leads to destruction right? And there are many who go through it. But how narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and few find it. 
Like there's some strong language in here. Like I didn't write it. I don't read that and go, oh, I'm so glad it says that. I read it and I go, this scares me a little bit. This is, this is a strong teaching that Jesus was giving to a large crowd of people. And he's talking about this broad road and the narrow road and few find it. And, and what I think we need to understand is that if our identity consists with a mass of people, it's probably not the narrow road. There's a lot of broad roads that are out there. And if I'm surrounded by people that only think like me, then I may be on a broad road that's more about what makes me comfortable than a narrow road that challenges me with the truth of the kingdom that's a stronger reality than what mine is. And do I see enough worth in God? Do I have enough value in Jesus to say, okay, that makes me uncomfortable, but this is what God says, so I'm willing to trust it. I'm willing to leave my preference and my comfort to walk in a narrow road. And the scary thing to me is he says, few, few are willing to find it. Few are willing to leave the comfort of their preferences to live by faith, to live according to the kingdom principles of God. He goes, so there's a broad road and there's a narrow road. And the narrow road of following Jesus is one of difficulty, it says. It's a hard road. It's difficult road. And there's only a few people that are actually willing to live the kind of life that looks like what the narrow road looks like. And I think we learn from the context of five and seven a little bit more about what. So it's like, there is nothing quick about the Sermon on the Mount, but we're gonna go quick. We're gonna do a quick pass through all of this. Are you ready? You're gonna get three full chapters of Bible today, so you won't be cheated. I want you to make sure you get your money's worth, right? So. Here we go. Matthew 5 starts the, the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus starts talking about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor, the mourning. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry. And Jesus is, is challenging things right from the beginning because he's saying, blessed are the things that you and I would not consider blessed. Nobody goes to extreme poverty and goes, look at the blessings in all of these people's faces. Look at the blessings of those who are starving. Look at the, the blessings. And so immediately Jesus starts this whole teaching flipping the script, saying, hey, what matters to the world is not what matters to me. The blessings are not abundant. The blessing is in meekness. The blessing is in mourning. Why? Because when you're mourning is when you become dependent on God in a way that you've never had to before. You experience things that you wouldn't otherwise choose. So the, the Beatitudes are challenging our, our norms. And then he says, he goes and he talks about salt and light, these famous passages that we preach so many sermons on. You're the salt of the earth and tasteless salt is useless. You're a city on a hill. Let your light shine in the darkness, like we should be change agents in the world that we live in. There should be things that are distinct, that set us apart, that shine like a light in a dark place where they look at us and go, you're not like all these other things. Or this, you taste something, it's like, whoa, the flavor here is incredible. Or it's like, you could use some salt. You know, we're, he's challenging everything. And then he says, this is a, a big one that's kind of subtle to us. But he says, I've come to fulfill the law. Like all the law of the prophets that came before me, I'm here to fulfill that. Like, man, 
Those are the kinds of statements that made people want to kill him. And it's a very high calling. He goes on to say, there's religious people here who are incredibly confident in their faith, but the truth is they have none. What they're confident in is their religious performance. But as far as prioritizing the kingdom of God, they don't. That they're on the broad road, they miss the narrow road. He's progressing towards that. And then he goes here and he starts talking about anger. And he said, you've heard it said, don't murder. I'm telling you, don't be angry. We live in a time where people love grace. Everybody wants grace, right? Because we don't have to be careful if we only talk about grace. Oh, God's just going to forgive me, so I'm just going to, I'm just going to do this. Or, or they'll say, well, we're in a new covenant now, and so, so I'm under grace, so I don't have to live according to the law. So it's like, don't tell me to tithe. That's law. I'm under grace. You know, I'm a, I could, God's going to forgive me. It's like, okay. But what I want us to notice is that in every example that Jesus gives here, he's asking more under grace than he did under the law. Here's the truth about the law. The law is the basement. The law is tilapia. It's the trash fish. Like, you don't need, it's not good. Like, it looks like it's going to be good, but it's not. It's the catfish. And in order for catfish to be good, you got to fry it and put salt, like, put a lot of stuff in it. And you can eat it and act like it's really good, but it's not. It's the lowest quality thing. And it's like, hey, I'm doing so good. And the, the Ten Commandments, like, they're not the ceiling, they're the basement. They were like, hey, you guys can't get your act together. Let me give you some baseline standards. And so Jesus is saying the law, and it's like, we, it, so many people look at the Ten Commandments like, oh, it's too much, it's too high. And Jesus was like, that's the first step. Like that shouldn't be a problem because under grace in this idea of worth-ship, we should be having higher standards. So he's like, hey, not only should you not kill, I'm telling you being angry with somebody is a problem. Not only should you not commit adultery, if you lust after somebody, that's the same thing, right? He's challenging these norms. He's, he talks about divorce. Like, divorce isn't about convenience. Like, it is a high and holy calling, and there's only a very limited amount of experience that makes divorce approvable in the kingdom of God. Quit playing with it like it doesn't matter. He's... He's challenging all of these things. He's, he talks about, oh, hey, quit swearing to God. Don't make promises to God that you can't keep. Stop saying, I swear to God. Don't do that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Don't go, God, I'm gonna give you everything. I'm gonna follow you all of my life. Careful. Just say yes to the things that he's showing you to say yes to and say no to, to other things. Let your yes be yes. And then he, he talks about going the extra mile. Give to the one who begs from you. Turn the cheek. And this is in that time in Roman um, dominance, the Roman soldiers could come to anybody and require them to carry all of their gear one mile. So any citizen and anybody, the Roman centurions could come and say, you carry my stuff for the next mile. And by law, you would have to say, okay. And Jesus didn't say, don't let those centurions tell you what to do. He said, hey, when they ask you to carry their things one mile, walk it to. More is asked under grace. He's calling us up to, to higher standards. And then he goes on to this like, oh, by the way, don't just put up with your enemies, love them. Don't just tolerate them, love them. Tolerance is a low bar. Our calling is love. 
He's calling us to love our enemies. And so pray for them. Be perfect. Don't be like the hypocrites who just compare themselves to something evil, like love those people, engage those people, be salt and light to, to those people. It's a challenging thing in chapter five. So, so chapter five seems to be this huge calling uh, of people of faith to be called up to, to higher standards, to, to raise the bar of our expectation to realize that because Jesus is worth it, it should be our honor to strive after his perfection and to not be bottom-dwelling rule followers, but to be grace-filled ambassadors of Jesus, living distinctly from the world. Not because we have to. We spend so much time going, well, how, what can I do? It's the wrong question. The question is, how much is Jesus worth to you? How much is he worth to you? Because when he's worth everything, then we're not gonna look around for something less worthy to take us to the broad road of destruction. When we're focused on him, then we have the capacity to stay on the narrow road. Can we do six? That was great, this is awesome. All right, chapter six, I love this. He says, when you give, not if you give. He didn't say, hey, under the law, I know 10% was required. Now under grace, uh, you know, just give if it feels right. He goes, no, when you give. And don't give because you get a tax write-off. Give because God has given to you. As God has been generous to you, give out of the abundance of what God, give God what comes first. When you give, not if you give. If we're not giving, we're not walking a narrow road. We're walking a broad road like everybody else, spending all of our money on ourselves. That's not a kingdom principle. When, when we give. Should we take up the offering right now? You feel like it's okay? <laughs> Rindashchurch.org slash give. Like it is our honor to sow seed into the kingdom of God through the local church that he allows us to participate in. It costs money to rent this place. It costs money to buy this stuff. It costs money to do the ministries that God allows us to do. It costs money to support missionaries. When you give, it's such an honor to participate in those things. It's the narrow road. It's part of, of the worshipness of Jesus. That was kind of hard to say. Um, and then he said, when you pray, when you pray. So it's like not if you pray, when you pray. These are just expectations of living a grace-filled life of Jesus. Hey, you're giving, you're praying, you're fasting. When, not, not if. But he says, when you pray, and I love this, it's where the Lord's Prayer is taken from. And uh, we had an incredible time Wednesday night praying for the persecuted church. And one of the things we prayed was the Lord's Prayer together because we get to do that, the same things that our brothers and sisters, one in seven Christians around the world is living in severe persecution. One in seven. Right? That's a lot. And when we get to remember that, they don't get safe. Some of them wake up and are hunted just because they woke up a Christian. That's just normal every day. And for us, we're so blessed. But when we get to remember them and we get to participate in the same things that they do, like the Lord's Prayer, we're blessed to remember that and participate. And so he says, hey, when you pray, you should be praying in your closet. You shouldn't be praying like big fancy prayers in front of people so that we try to impress people with our words. It's like, no, who are you when nobody's looking? When you're at home, when you're alone, when you're in the car, how, how is your prayer engagement? And he says, when you pray, pray secretly and then pray like this. And I just thought, 
Let's read, could we just read this out loud together? And it's not the exact Lord's Prayer because it's straight out of the, the scripture from the CSB version, but let's pray together. So can we just go together? You ready? Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen. Felt good, right? When you pray, why wouldn't we do that all the time? We're being called to it. When you fast, fasting is supposed to be a regular rhythm of spiritual discipline that we participate in. It's just an expectation. Don't, don't, store, up for, don't store up treasures for yourself here where moth and rust destroy, but do what? Invest your stuff in the kingdom of heaven where nothing can take it away because everything here is gonna rot. It's gonna be gone. Everything we accumulate has no purpose in the kingdom because it's gonna be gone in the blink of an eye. So are we living like the world lives, accumulating things like everybody else in Fort Bend County? Or are we living, storing up treasures for the kingdom first? And that's our distinction. It's a priority that sets us apart. Then he says, hey, and don't be anxious about your life. Don't be ruled by fear. Don't be ruled by anxiety. Don't let it take you off course. Don't let it take you to the road humps to, to get stuck in this place. It's not saying anxiety is not real. It's saying it doesn't have to be a master. It doesn't have to be a place where we don't experience healing. We're called for anxiety to submit to the kingdom of God and find healing and relief from it because that's one of the things that Jesus does. And he says, don't be anxious about your life, what, what you eat, what you wear. God loves you. He knows all those things. So here's what you do. Instead of worrying, just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and what? Everything that you need is going to be provided for you. It's God's job, not our job. Our job is, is kingdom first. So chapter six is talking to us about priorities. If we're being honest, we can ask ourselves, hey, where does Jesus fall in our daily list of priorities? Like, I mean, we think about the number of minutes that we live every day and how much time we set aside for seeking first the kingdom of God. How are we doing? Like if we're just taking an actual survey of minutes, like back in, in Jewish custom, like they would start the day, they would have prayers at midday, they would have prayers at the end of the day just to make sure that they were sprinkling Jesus through their time. And there's a million ways that we spend our time, but our calling is to seek first the kingdom of heaven. Are we starting with prayer? Are we fasting? Are we living like worldly things don't matter? Are we allowing it to make directions for us? Are we seeking first the kingdom of God? So seeking him first with our time and habits and life and decision and resources is what Jesus is calling us to. Then we come to chapter seven and he says, judge not lest you be judged. Um, Quit looking at the, the spec, that thing that you think is a big deal for some, like that's a little thing. You got a, you got a log here and you're not paying attention to your own vulnerability. You just want to point out everybody else's. So let's not be judgmental. Let's not be disagreeable. Followers of Jesus shouldn't be going around judging. We should be taking seriously our call to the narrow Road. We shouldn't be looking at how far we can go and it still be okay. We should be looking to Jesus and loving him so much that when he says something, we're orienting our whole life around it, right? It's, it's, this, um, it's this scary time though, because I just feel like 
so many people are just talking about grace. And it's like, the grace in God is bigger than the sin in you. 100%. There's no limit on God's grace. It is sufficient. But the Bible also says, but don't abuse God's grace. With our arrogance and sinful behavior, acting like he owes us something. He doesn't owe us anything. He lavishes grace on us through forgiveness and mercy because of what he purchased. He purchased our freedom. He purchased our forgiveness on the cross. And because he's worth it, we get to follow him in this narrow road thinking. And the right angle to me is just like, do, if I'm being honest, do I honor, love, and find Jesus worthy enough to live how he's asked me to live? Because if I'm stuck in sin, then I'm not. If I'm making excuses for sinful patterns and behaviors, I have a how much I value Jesus problem, not a sin problem. Because when your eyes are on him, when we're seeking first the kingdom, everything is in place. The call is follow me, seek first the kingdom. I'm gonna lead you to a higher standard than you could ever live on your own. It's gonna be difficult. People are gonna mock you. People are not gonna understand, but that's salt and light, and that's how we're gonna be a witness to the broken, broken world. And then he goes into this, this next session, ask, ask, seek and not. God loves you. He, he wants you to ask him for things. He says he's going to answer when, when you go to him, when you pursue him, when you pray to him. He's receiving those, those prayers. Then he goes on and he talks about the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Now, like, that doesn't work unless it's people in the kingdom, by the way. So when we expect the world to live by the golden rule, that's taking this out of context because it was written to believing people. So treat other believers how you want them to treat you. Do you want them to judge and criticize you with the same level that you judge and criticize them? Or do you want to give people the benefit of the doubt? Focus first on Jesus. Let God sort out the things we don't understand and be unified in the narrow road together. The golden rule. And then he comes to the, the narrow road that, hey, there's a broad way, there's a skinny way, there's a narrow way that, that few find. And this is tough. And because what he goes on here to say is that there's two there's two alternatives as a result of the road that we're walking. When we leave this planet, we'll face two realities. Eternity with Jesus in a place called heaven and eternity separated from Jesus in a place called hell. The place called heaven says a place of no pain, place of perfect peace, everything's made right, the glory of God is brighter than the sun. Don't need the sun because the light of Jesus just lights it up. It's everything. Streets of gold. It's everything. But what's also true is that apparently few find it. Because they're not willing to walk a narrow road and trust that that reward is worth everything. And then there's this other thing that's it's called a place called hell that's a place of eternal destruction that stands for everything the devil stands for that's described as weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's the, it says the people there are crying to get out, begging to get out, a place of, of torment and punishment and judgment. Like, I didn't write that either. It's what Jesus is teaching us. 
It's because it matters. Like what we do in this life, it matters. It has eternal consequence. So when Jesus is inviting us, he's inviting us, hey, the narrow road is worth taking, guys. It's worth, like it matters. Our eternity is affected by our ability to seek first the kingdom of God and choose, choose the narrow road. Why don't we choose it? Why are we so content to be in the margins or the sidelines or with the masses and, and not be focused on these things? And it made me think of the incredible prophet Johnny Cash. Because you're mine, I walk the line. He had to have a reason he had to have a reason. I mean, you know, I think he's talking about June Carter. But I mean, he got serious about the Lord eventually. But this is why. Not because God saves us if we try harder. Not because we have to earn his approval, but because we already have it. Because we are his. Because he is worth it. It is such a privilege to not walk broad roads, but to just say, this narrow road is mine. It's my delight to abstain from godless things and trust Jesus. I, um, and then he goes on and he talks about the fruit. He said, and by the way, there's gonna be evidence in your life of which, which road you've chosen. A tree is gonna bear the fruit that it's invested on. And then he gives this really scary um, teaching in John 7 where it's like, Jesus, didn't we like, cast out demons? Didn't we pray and prophesy? Like if you see people casting out demons and praying and prophesying, you're going to assume that those people are narrow road people, but not necessarily. We can do a lot of song and dance. We can do a lot of religious mumbo jumbo. We can do a lot of things that look like the kingdom without having our hearts actually centered on the kingdom of God. So much like pastor failure in our world today. People doing really spiritual things, but not walking a narrow road when it comes to morality. It's like, God's not impressed with how good we can perform. He's just saying, walk with me down this narrow road, I got you. And he's like, and he tells these people like, actually, you did all that stuff, but I don't, I didn't even know you. Like that wasn't with me, that was a broad road. Still have to be careful, even in those things. And then he closes with this beautiful, build your, your house on the, the rock. Uh, the rain came, wind blew, the floods came, but my house was built on the foundation of the kingdom of God and, and nothing can, can stand against it. So let me try to land this plane, all right? So that's, we did it. Three chapters of Matthew, the worst teaching on the Sermon of the Mount that you've ever heard in your life. Uh, we should have spent like two years on it, but there you have it, about 20 minutes. And... It just brings us to this, this idea that the living in the grace and mercy of Jesus means that actually more is required from us. Not the basement, not the, well, it made me think of on our 13th uh, anniversary, Holly and I, we decided that it was the right time since it was lucky number 13 to go to True Lux Steak and Stone Crab. You guys ever been there? Uh, Austin, Texas, downtown. And so we stepped into this place and it took about five seconds for us to realize, I don't think we belong here. It's like small town, college town, church planters at the time. And um, so we walk in and we, we get to the menu and like we bring it out and uh, they knew it was our anniversary. So they're being really nice to us, which was incredible. I'm looking at that picture. I was like, why didn't we dress up? Like, goodness gracious, what? 
Anyway, we didn't know better. Uh, so anyway, so we go in and they, they pull out the menu and like Deadliest Catch was pretty new at the time and we were kind of into it and then you scroll down there and it's like, they have Bering Sea King Crab on the menu. Like if we're gonna go and then you kind of look at the price and they've got all of these other prices but when you get to the good stuff, you guys know what it says when it's the good stuff? Market value. What that is code for is you can't afford it. And, and we're like, and you don't do this, right? We're like, what's the market value on the, the king crab? And it's like, well, you can get it like this or like this. And I don't remember what it was, but I think we ended up with like two crab legs of this king crab because it was all that we could afford. And so we decided to share it. It's like, we're just gonna, like, we're gonna throw down and we're gonna share it. And then um, there's a champagne that has our last name on it um, out of France. And so... It's not available very many places in the States. And so we were looking there and it's like, oh, they have the champagne for our anniversary. And they call it Bollinger. We call our name Bollinger. But when we put down like our debit card in the UK and Europe, they're like, oh, Bollinger. And we're like, yeah, show us to our special, our special table, please. We're dressed like this so they know we're posers. But you like go through duty free and there's a whole section of Bollinger champagne with like the James Bond logo on it. It's like, we're kind of a big deal in some places, just not here. But so we go to True Lux and it's like they have a, a glass of a Bollinger champagne and it's like oh it's like $40 for the glass you know and it's like and this was in 2011 and it's like we'll share one of those and so we just went and so we shared the crab legs shared the and then I'm pretty sure we got some kind of fancy macaroni and cheese for like $23 and so they brought out all of these things but I'm going to tell you guys like we were throwing down and um <laughs> as much as we could relatively at that point in time. But I'm going to tell you something. When you put that Bering Sea King crab in your mouth, it hits different. It, that's not like the imitation crab at H-E-B that you use for ceviche or, or something like that. It's like, oh, this tastes like nothing I've ever tasted. And if you're not a fish person, like, I'm sorry, you're not going to relate to anything that I'm saying. Like, just pretend I'm talking about Wagyu steak or something like that. But like, this crab was so good. And as soon as you tasted it, you realized that you were in a completely different league, right? And then the champagne was like, mm, that's, we didn't, maybe like, we didn't drink very much champagne, still don't. But that was like, we we're like, this is so good. And the macaroni, and so we enjoyed so much. And the main reason was, like, it cost so much. We understood the value of what we were experiencing. It wasn't about the numbers. It wasn't about the law. It wasn't about the, like, we could have ordered a cheaper thing. If we, we could have settled for, for far less. But when it cost us more, we experienced more. And then they gave us free dessert. What's up? Right? Like, we walked out of there right there feeling like we stole it. You know? It's like, man, these... And so we had this incredible thing, but when I was talking about like, you know, the tilapia or the catfish compared to king crab from the Bering Sea, or if you ever had Maine, uh, lobster from Maine, it's just like things that have tremendous value cost more. And the narrow road, it costs a lot. It costs us our life. Why? Because it costs Jesus his. He went first. He laid down his life for us. And because of his love for us, he invites us to experience something deeper, greater, more incredible than we'll ever get doing as little as possible. 
But when you're willing to take a step of faith and trust God and seek first the kingdom of God, there's gonna be a lot of things you have to give up. There's gonna be a lot of worldly things that your answer is gonna be, I can't do that. It's outside of the kingdom of God because I'm gonna invest in the kingdom. I'm gonna store up treasure in heaven, so I'm gonna say no. It's gotta cost, if it, doesn't, if it hasn't cost us significantly, then we're maybe not even on the narrow, narrow road yet because there's a cost that comes with it that is significant. So Jesus' invitation to us is just the same. Follow me, believe in me, seek first the kingdom of heaven, choose the narrow road. And I ran across some questions that I wanna ask us in, in closing today. And I just want us to be honest with, with these four questions. And so let's go ahead and put those up, Jake. So um, response thoughts. Number one, are you putting the kingdom of God first? And this isn't to give the right answer, right? It's not just like, oh, of course I'm giving. No, 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 no. Like, today, tomorrow, how, how are you doing at actually putting the kingdom of God first? The Bible talks a lot about first fruits, the first of our heart, the first of our money, the first of our offerings, the first of our life. Are we letting that be our, our priority? How are we doing putting the kingdom of God first? If you lost everything else, you still okay? We're still able to do that. Number two, this is a question that, that I found very challenging. Just what have you given up to walk the narrow road? What does it cost you? What cost are you willing to pay in order to let things go in order to be right in the center of the kingdom of God? Because if it doesn't cost us anything, then we're not stepping into the stone crab, the king crab. We're just settling for a lesser thing. But when it costs you, we can experience something, something much deeper. Jesus said it's actually wise to count the cost before you make a decision to follow him. Like, don't do it hastily. Like, understand that he's asking for everything. He gave everything, and he asked for everything. He continues to give everything. We should be delighted to give everything as well. But if you're struggling here with the question, it's like, what's holding you back? What are you, what's keeping you from putting him first? What's keeping you from, and, and can you, is it time to consider, like, parting ways with whatever it is that's keeping you from going forward with God? And then um, number three is, how has it changed you? How, has the, how, are you, how have you been changed? How is your life so different than what it was before because of your walk on the narrow road? Because it's possible to pray a prayer and believe all the right things about Jesus and not allow any transformation in your life to happen. So what's, what's different? Because of the worthiness of Jesus in your life, how have you seen seeking first the kingdom transform you? And that's not a condemning statement. It's a hope statement. Because if you haven't experienced that transformation, it's available. That's the whole point. That we be changed from one degree of glory to the next. That we be made like Jesus. And then the last question is just like, are you ready to walk the narrow road? Are you ready? It's today the day that you're like, you know what? This, Jesus is worth it, and I'm gonna 
come in from the margins and the masses. And I just wanna be with him and trust him in a way that, that I never have before. The only road that leads to life is the narrow road and few find it. And I want you to find it. If you're not on it, I want you to find it. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance Church Sermon Podcast. To support our work, you can like, share, subscribe, or you can donate at rin-church.org.